Ready, Patrick? Yes. Here let's we go. do the. Uh... Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. We are back. Back live, Patrick Keene. Welcome back to another installment of the Gentleman's Dojo. To my left, a very funny guy that I had the pleasure of working all weekend with at the Irvine Improv, Patrick Keene. How about you. a round of Thank applause for Patrick Keene? Thank you, everybody. I'm Gary Cannon. Uh, Mr. Steve Byrne will be joining us momentarily. We are excited. Great we weekend in Irvine. You were fantastic. So much fun. We had yeah. a lot of fun. You had some friends out. That's right. A lot of locals uh, that I grew up out. with. out. Yes. yes. They were great. Uh, boy, it feels like we have not been on the air in a little while, but we are back. We are excited. Irvine last weekend, we are doing uh, Oxnard Levity Live this weekend. The entire crew, me, you, Steve Byrne. Is that right in the middle of Ventura? I haven't done that club Oh, yet. yeah. That's yeah, right it's, downtown yeah, it's Ventura. fun. Okay. You think Oxnard's going to be nice by the beach? It is not. <laughs> nice and by the beach. It is in a strip mall like most of the other clubs. So it is uh, a little different. But we'll have a fun weekend. I got to say, the Christmas. leading cause of death for comics is comedy club food. Just, <laughs> Although the Irvine Club does have good food, but you do get tired of it. They have, oh, they have uh, the umami burger, umami yeah, burger which is good. But by Saturday, you're done eating these delectable, delicious burgers. But uh, yeah, we're excited. Well, Steve will be joining us momentarily. So Patrick and I will keep the ship moving. Um, as we welcome our guest that should be calling in any second now. Absolutely, Jonathan Ike. Yeah, Jonathan Ike, uh, you were the uh, one responsible for uh, this guest because you basically said, "Hey, let's get this guy." Yeah, I read this book. Read uh, this great it, book. It, it, book Ali, a life. It's out. You could find it. It's out this holiday season. It's been out for a few months. It's fantastic. I got it as a birthday gift from a present or from a friend. Uh, and you know, I had seen the documentary when we were kings. Yes. Uh, when, in college, and my buddy and I had talked about it over the years, and I'd kind of we'd kind of email or text each other little tidbits about Ali, and then he saw this book and picked it up for my birthday, September twenty seventh. So next year, you guys all know. Right. So we know not to get you this book. Right. I was I had this on my wish list on my Amazon wish list to get you this. Oh, okay. For your birthday, but uh, obviously that's already taken. Now this is a uh, this is a relatively large book, Patrick. I mean, it's I don't know five hundred pages. It's about, yeah, it's about five hundred thirty, five hundred forty. Very compelling. Easy it's the read. Most, easy read. Easy, yeah. Most compelling or most. Uh, Comprehensive book on Ali ever written. It is. It's fantastic. You know yeah. what? I'm going to do a uh, little reversal here. Let's oh, do yeah. this. And we're going to call Mr. Eek. Mr. Ike. Let's see if we can get him on the phone. Hello? There he is. Yes. We decided to call you instead. I hope that that was okay. That's fine by me. We would like to welcome you to our show. Let's give you a proper introduction, if you don't mind. First of all, uh, this is a gentleman from Chicago, living in Chicago, near Wrigleyville. Great area, yes, obviously. Fun, yeah. um, and this guy is one of our few guests that have canceled on us nine times. We've tried <laughs> to book him. He'll call us the morning of, tell us the reason why he can't do it. Always an excuse. We're always available. We're always ready. And this guy has canceled on us over 15 times. Is that, <laughs> is that, that is, <laughs> he's very so busy. Wise. I'm going to, very busy. Keep it up. I'm, keep it up. I'm going to cancel again right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to hang up during our live, well, not live, but taped, live to tape podcast. Uh, Patrick, why don't you introduce him? You were the first to tip us off on this book. Yeah, this is a fantastic book. Again, the most comprehensive book out there on one of the greatest athletes in the world's history, yeah. Muhammad Ali. And uh, it's called, the book is called Ali A Life. Uh, and it's a fantastic read. Please welcome the Jonathan Eig. You guys, right there, Come on. right there. The Jonathan Eig, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. 
Well, Jonathan, we are excited to have you. I know we've been trying to set this up for a while, and our apologies uh, sincerely because there have been some snafus, so we appreciate your patience and waiting for us, but we're very, very excited to talk to you about this amazing, amazing book. And, uh, you know, I guess, first of all, you've written a bunch of other great books, and so what was the inspiration for this book? Why, Why the book about Ali? I was a huge Ali fan as a kid. You know, I had his poster on my wall. I you know, the 70s when he was fighting Joe Frazier and George Foreman, I was still too young to, to be allowed to go see any of those pro fights or even to go see them in the movie theaters where they showed them on closed circuit. But I was a big, big fan. And he seemed to me like more than just an athlete. He was like a superhero, you know. And then I discovered later that he also had this really interesting political side where he, you know, um, opposed the Vietnam War and joined this uh, group called the Nation of Islam, all this other stuff that I didn't really know about as a kid. But it struck me as being one of the most interesting stories of the of, of the of my lifetime, and nobody had done the full blown biography yet. I was shocked that nobody had yet told the whole life story, and and that's what I decided I would give it a try. That's pretty crazy that nobody had done that. Yeah, you think a guy like Ali or Elvis or Kennedy or Marilyn Monroe, the, these figures, you think they've done been overdone and over documented, but not the case. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Ali, there have been a lot of books written about him and some really good ones, but they all took just a little slice of the pie, and um, nobody had, you know, there's a great two-volume biography of Elvis, and, and nobody had done that yet. Nobody had done that level of research where you go back and you find his first girlfriend, and you dig through his ancestry and figure out, you know, where his grandparents were, were slaves, and, and, you know, you really, um, you know, cover every little piece of his life, and, and that that book was still waiting to be written so i figured why not why not me because you, you you've done a couple of books the the get capone the opening day luckiest man is there was there something was this one of your favorites to write like what was the the thought process going into this one this to me was was without a doubt the the favorite and the most fun that a person in my work could possibly have sure because you know, the other books, everybody was dead. Um, there weren't that many people to talk to. I couldn't go back and interview um, the teammates for Jackie Robinson. There were only a few left. And for Lou Gehrig, there were none left. Uh, almost none. There were maybe two or three. But for Ali, everybody was still alive. I mean, almost everybody. You know, three out of his four ex-wives, uh, most of his opponents, a lot of his managers, his, his lawyers, um, just his, his, his brother was still alive. Just this amazing cast of characters. And, and it had Don King. I mean, any book with Don wow. King in it yeah. is going to be fun. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I, I mean, just curious, Jonathan, how do you get started? I mean, this book is so comprehensive. How do you get started writing a book like this? How does that, how does that come together? Well, you know, first you get the idea, then you start working on a proposal, and then you start trying to convince people to talk to you. And that's really the, the hard part, especially with a guy like Ali, who was a you know, big-time star, and everybody around him is a little bit guarded. Everybody wants to know what's in it for them. Um, people want to be paid to, to, if they're going to talk to me, and I wouldn't pay. So, so that part, getting into the circle, getting his wives to trust me, getting his brother to trust me, that is the hardest part. And that took years and years of, of work just just to earn their trust, just to get them to open up to me. And uh, you, know, you don't even really think about writing for the first couple of years because all you're doing is trying to get in to these uh, sources and find the materials that you're going to need and find the, the guides who are going to, who are going to take you through this, this amazing life. Yeah. It must seem overwhelming at first when you're trying to put this together, right? Oh, it's petrifying. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. How can, 
I possibly learn everything I need to learn? How can I get Louis Farrakhan and Don King to talk to me? Um, and, and even then, you know, even if you can do all that, you know, Ali didn't ask me to tell his life story. What right do I have to be his biographer and to take this man's life into my hands? And it, it's a scary, scary uh, responsibility, but um, but also an exciting one. Had, had you seen him live over the years ever fight, or were you too young to even see him fight, or had you met him at events, or, or was this the first kind of interaction you had with his family in this book? No, I'd only seen him. I'd only seen him on TV, okay. and I'd never seen him fight live, and I'd never met anybody in his in his universe. You know, I didn't have an in. I didn't know his business manager or his or his wife or anything like that. Um, I just had to start cold and and convince all these people to to talk to me. But it's great. Jonathan, you had a publisher who signed off and said, "Hey, we want you to write this book." I mean, it was already it was the idea sold before you had started the research. Um, I did about six months, eight months of research um, before I sold it to a publisher. Uh, and once I did that, then I had a contract and I could go to these people and say, look, this isn't just me um, making it up. I've got a real publisher behind me and this book's really going to be printed someday and I'm gonna, it's going to be in bookstores. And, you know, this is a legit thing. But for the first you know, six or eight months, I didn't even have that. I just had, you know, <laughs> I just had a, a good a good story and, 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 uh, and a lot of... Uh, courage to go in and, and confront these people and try to get them to talk to me. What what was the biggest surprise you came away with about Ali? I mean, for me as a reader, I, I had no idea that he kind of came from an okay background. I mean, they weren't they weren't from the ghetto. They like they were they were kind of from what a, a maybe middle class family, would you say? Yeah, I would say he was from a middle class um family. Um certainly, you know, um being middle class in Black America in the 1950s was different from being middle class in white America. You know, he still didn't have anywhere near equal treatment. But, um, you know, his father made a decent living as a sign painter. His mother worked as a housekeeper and a maid and uh, and a cook. So, so you know, he didn't grow up poor. And that was, you know, unusual in the boxing world. In the boxing world, almost everybody came out of poverty. Um, so that was interesting. And, and, you know, the fact that his, his um, grandfather was a convicted murderer came as a big surprise to me. I, I, I don't think anybody had ever reported that before. And I don't think Ali even knew that. Um, so there were a lot of surprises yeah. and I found out that his father was kind of a, a drunk and, and had been abusive and had, had, had beaten Ali and his, and his uh, wife, um, on occasion. So, um, you know, they were, they were surprises to me at almost every stage in, in researching this book. Okay. And, and you had, you had mentioned, I don't know, uh, early on, I guess he, was he dyslexic and, and then. Something something about being dyslexic actually helps you as a fighter because the way your brain kind of categorizes knowledge and information. Could you talk about that for a sec? Yeah, that was fascinating to me too. You know, Ali failed his IQ test um, originally. That's why he was not originally drafted and, and um, barely got through high school. And it turns out that he was dyslexic, although he was never diagnosed as a child. Um, and what I learned about dyslexia is that uh, it changes. When you, when you learn to read, um, it changes. It rewires your brain so that if you grow up in an illiterate society, um, if you're, you know, living some somewhere very, very remote and and you never learn to read, your brain is different from somebody who learns to read. When you learn to read, your brain learns to focus really well on one thing at a time. But if you never learn to read, your brain focuses really well on many things at a time. You can understand two or three conversations if you're at a party. You can hear what two or three different conversations are are about, and you can understand all of them. But if you learn to read, you, you lose that ability. 
So Ali, as a dyslexic, may have had certain visual skills that were better than people who could read. He may have been able to pick up signs in, in his opponents. He may have been able to see two or three things at the same time, um, hear the feet shuffling, notice the, sh- the shoulder shifting, and look in his opponent's eyes and see um, you know, where, where this, this punch might be headed. So it's possible that he um, had some, some advantages physically as a boxer from his, from his dyslexia. And he always said that he had this unbelievable ability to know where and when a punch was coming and to just get out of the way enough to reduce the damage from that punch. And um, it's possible it was connected to the dyslexia. That's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, he, he got to start kind of what? In, in Rome in 1960, he wins the gold medal. And then from there, it just takes him four years to, to win the heavyweight championship against Sonny Liston. And he's the youngest. Is he still the youngest heavyweight champion of all time, or did did, did Tyson was he younger? I think Tyson might have been. Younger. Um, no, he, Ali was never the youngest. Actually, Floyd Patterson was younger when he won the title by a couple of months. Um, but Ali did, you know, move very quickly. And and what's interesting is that he moved quickly through the ranks and got his shot at the heavyweight championship. In part because he was just such a great personality, and and people were so drawn to watch him box. Um, that he got a shot at, at the championship before he probably uh, deserved it because he um, he was just such a great drawing card. He was really the, one of the greatest promoters. That's great. The, the self-promotion got him. The Twitter followers and the Instagram followers helped him. <laughs> exactly. He had that going on before there were even right. you know, personal computers. That's how ahead of his time he was. He was more of a MySpace guy. <laughs> he had tons of friends. Uh, I mean, what were some when you were watching some of his old fights? I mean, what what were some of the fights that you watched, Jonathan? That you're like, oh my god, this guy's just a machine. It was really, um, really fun to watch those early fights because if you grew up in the '70s like I did, and you, you saw him fight, it was it was the slower Ali who took all these punches. You know, he, he used the rope a dope and let George Foreman hit him until Foreman got so tired that he couldn't fight back. But you watch Ali in the 60s, and oh my God, he's so fast. You can barely see the hands moving, and you see these opponents um, think that they can take him because because he's not hitting that hard. And then after a while, these, these punches are, are coming so fast, and they start to wear these guys down, and they get frustrated, and they start throwing these crazy big punches and that miss, and Ali just snaps those jabs and, and those combinations. He was... You know the the, um, the the phrase "float like a butterfly, sting like a bee." Um, it was supposed to be an insult because because heavyweights weren't supposed to fight like that. They were supposed to you know hit like a Mack truck. But Ali was so quick, and and those that jabs just kept stinging and stinging until you just couldn't take it anymore. And those fights in the '60s were just a a, a real joy to watch. So so he wins the title in '64, and then in what year? I was kind of confused. What year did he have to surrender it because he wouldn't go to Vietnam? Was that '70? 70- 71 or 69? I, I wasn't no, sure. No, um, 67, he stops fighting. 67, he's um, he's banned from boxing. He, they take away his heavyweight title um, because he's convicted of draft dodging. And uh, he, he then misses three and a half years. He doesn't fight again until uh, 19, end of 1970. In his peak, at, at his prime of his career because of that. That's in. That's not, so he won and lost yeah. it three different times. He, he won against Sonny, and then it was stripped. He beat Foreman in 74. Lost it to Spinks, won it back from Spinks. When he lost it the third time, he didn't really lose it. Did he retire, or did Holmes take it from him? That was unclear to me. I didn't know. Oh, uh, he retired after, retired after, after he beat Spinks. Then he came back and fought again and uh, took on Larry Holmes and, and lost to Larry Holmes. 
try it again uh, one more time against Trevor Burbick, lost again, and then he finally hung it up for good. And and was the do- his doctor Freddie Pacheco was he telling him in 1970 to, to like hey we're you're starting to show signs of maybe some dementia and whatnot and it's like the guy fought another 10 years after that I mean you can imagine the damage. Um, and then you, do you think that had he not taken that time off that three years and been fighting he, and during that time he would have been most likely winning of course do you think he would have retired earlier do you think he would have felt the need or did he feel the need to fight longer because he had missed a few of his prime years. It's really hard to say. You know, he, he kept fighting because he needed the money and because he loved the attention. Um, you know, there was no other way that he was going to get that kind of love, that kind of attention, that he was going to get that kind of money, you know, to make three or four million dollars for, for one night of work. Um, was, that was never going to happen again. So, you know, we, we definitely missed the best three, three and a half years of his career when, when he should have been fighting and, and was really at his prime but would he have quit sooner you know it's just hard to say um you know he, he fought no matter how you slice it he went on too long right he never should have been fighting in the late 70s and he knew it he, he was always asking reporters do you think i'm brain damaged and and do you think i'm talking bad you think i'm talking slower and he was he was obviously talking slower he was obviously losing his cognitive abilities but he kept fighting just crazy that's uh, yeah. So uh, and then I was going to ask about the uh, Foreman George Foreman in 1974 claims he was drugged before that fight in Africa. Is is that something that that Foreman's been vocal about? Until I read your book, I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, that is cracks it? me up. I mean, because um, that nobody really knew that he he Foreman mentioned it in his own uh, book in his autobiography, which he wrote, you know, I guess about 15, 20 years ago. And when I asked him if he still believed that. He said, absolutely, I know I was drugged. I don't just believe it, I know it. Oh, and uh, then, then he told me a funny story. He said, another thing, before that fight, I um, I gave the referee $25,000 cash to make sure it was a fair fight. And, uh, <laughs> and, and George said, I found out, and George said, I found out afterwards that Ali gave the ref more than $25,000. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so, I, so I called Ali's manager and I said, is it true that uh, George gave the ref twenty five? grand and you guys gave the ref even more and his manager gene kilroy said no that's ridiculous that's the stupidest thing i ever heard we only gave him ten thousand oh that's funny it, now he, i wonder <laughs> i wonder if ollie was ever bitter that he never came up with a grill yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where the grease rolls down yeah. <laughs> greatest that, that, that probably pro- made, made him more money than boxing uh, who the knows grill. nowadays it's oh always, way yeah. more yeah, yeah. That, right that was the best best thing that ever happened to a boxer in, in the history of the sport was the george foreman grill the George Foreman Grill, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And and I think they only fought once. Is that right, Jonathan? That's right. They only yeah. fought once. And, then, and I think Ali was afraid to fight him again. Yeah, I bet. The, the, the punching, heat, the battering they, they gave each other. or And these Frazier fights are unbelievable. That third fight, they were about to throw in the towel before Frazier's manager threw it in after the 14th. Yeah, it's not 100% clear, um, but, it, but a lot of people think that uh, if Ali... Um, hadn't gotten up, that that Frazier was ready. I mean, that, that Ali was ready to throw in the towel and that, that if, if Frazier had just gotten up and, and gone back into the ring, um, he might've won that fight. That it, was a war. That, that was, uh, that it, was it, an it, ugly thing to watch. It, and your wording to describe, uh, that was so beautiful because Frazier, I think was prepared to die in the, like to Ali, cause he was taking all the insults and all the stuff. And he wasn't that fast talker that Ali was. And I think he was prepared to die in the ring. And that imagery, that line you said where this was a guy who, 
was it was a kid in, in was it was it Virginia and working ankle deep in cow blood I think and that just was it it just nailed who I think Joe Frazier was just this tough kind of kept to himself guy uh, against you know this high uh, profile as we as we call him a very good self promotional fighter um, yeah you, that's what made it such a great rivalry did did do you think those two were at peace before they died do, do you know anything about uh, Ali and Frazier were they ever in communication after those fights. They um, met a few times, and they posed for pictures together, and Ali sort of said that he uh, was sorry the way he treated Joe, but I don't think Joe ever really forgave him. I think Joe was really angry the way Ali taunted him, humiliated him. It got really personal, and um, it didn't have to. I don't know why Ali felt the need to uh, to be so hard on, on Frazier. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because if you just, in terms of, like, reading your book and who you had access to, I mean— What's that like interviewing, you know, a guy like Don King, or or was there somebody too, Jonathan, who you really wanted to get for the book and just couldn't? Um, the only one who I really didn't get was Ali's um, widow, his his fourth wife, Lonnie. She she talked to me a few times. She answered a few questions. Um, she she invited me to the home, and you know, we spent a couple of hours together. But she would not do the real sit down thorough interview. Oh, wow. She just didn't want to play along with that. And um, that that was my my biggest regret. But um, everybody else that I, that was on my list, I got. I mean, I got the hard ones. I got Don King, and, and I asked him some really hard questions about why he took all this money from these, from these fighters and, and how he uh, was accused of ripping them off. And, and I got Louis Farrakhan. I got um, Jesse Jackson. I got um, you know, Larry Holmes, you know, everybody I wanted, I, I really uh, where, I was able to get. Where do you meet with these guys? Like, I mean, that's so fascinating to me. Like, where do you meet Louis Farrakhan for an interview? Like at Applebee's or something? Like, where do you where do you go? Where do you where do you meet him? And like, are you nervous going into these things or what? what what's the thought process? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm usually nervous. And for Farrakhan, I was certainly nervous. And uh, I, the answer is you meet them wherever they want. Um, you try to get them at their home, wherever they're most comfortable, wherever they'll spend the most time with you. But if they want Applebee's, you go to Applebee's. <laughs> in, Farrakhan, um, in Farrakhan's case, I met him at his home in Michigan. And wow. Lots of security guards around and, a, and a, a sound engineer there to record the interview for him. He keeps a recording of all the interviews that he does. Um so and he was in his bathrobe the whole, the, the whole time, uh, which uh, was not what I expected yeah, for Lewis Farrakhan. <laughs> it's like some Rodney Dangerfield stuff. Yeah, or something. but right from back to school. <laughs> yeah. But when you when you walk in, or is it like, hey, can we get you something to drink? Like I'm so fascinated with like that side of it. You walking in to talk about you know this common ground that you guys have interest in. You know, you're I mean, you obviously you're both you both have this love of Ali, but like how does how does the whole meeting work? It just it's very very fascinating to me. Yeah, it really depends on the personality. Um, you know, with Ali's second wife, Kalila, we met in a restaurant, and then once she got comfortable with me, she invited me to her home. Um, other and and um, with with Farrakhan, it was very businesslike. Even though he was in his bathrobe, there was there was no offer of uh, of coffee or water. Um, it was all you know. It was um, as if I were um, you know meeting him in his office. Sure. And even though it was at at his house, um, so it it really just depends on the personality of the of the of the of the interviewee. What was, what was something that you uh, maybe had asked Farrakhan that you were surprised that he answered? Was there, was there like a question that like, you know, with Don King, you were asking about the money. Was there anything with Farrakhan that you thought there's no way he's going to answer this? And he did. 
Um, yeah, you know, he wouldn't go anywhere near the Malcolm X assassination when I asked about that, and, and that was probably not not a surprise. Um, but but I was surprised when I asked him about um, his decision to rebuild the Nation of Islam and whether Ali um, would, was 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 helpful or was um, was supportive of that. He, he told me this story. He said he went to Ali's house and said he was rebuilding the nation of Islam. He wanted to restore the teachings of Elijah Muhammad, and he wanted Ali's help. And Ali had a football game on. They were standing in the kitchen of Ali's house, and, and there was a football game on TV. And Ali said, Farrakhan, you see that TV? Um, how many people are at that stadium? 50,000, 60,000? Every person in that stadium knows who I am. They don't know about you. They don't care about you. Just get out of my house. And um, basically threw him out and told him to get lost. And, and I was surprised that Farrakhan told me that story because it, it didn't reflect very well on, on Ali or on Farrakhan, really. Yeah, that's an interesting right. That, that's yeah. I can't believe you're interviewing Farrakhan about these things. I can't believe it's, you're in this. Pre- that's, it, and yeah. what about Don King? Like like that would strike me as an interview, too, that would go on maybe longer than you thought it would. Like, did, did, was he how was he like just very affable? Like, what was what was your meeting with? Don King like Don King kept putting me off and putting me off. And even when I went and met with him in Las Vegas, he gave me five minutes and said, then he was too busy. He, he was, he was resolving the, the, the crisis in the middle East and he had to go. Um, and, and, and when I finally got him and, and cornered him, I had no idea if he was going to give me two minutes or, or two hours. Um, I, I began the interview by asking him um, why no one had ever killed him. And oh. um, and I think he liked that question. Um, I think I, like he took that as a sign of respect because I said, you know, you're dealing with the mafia, you're dealing with the nation of Islam, you're dealing with all these boxers, and you're you're taking all these people for for a ton of money. You know, you're paying them cash to sign contracts that that um, that that are very favorable to you and not favorable to the fighters. How come nobody ever killed you? And uh, and he he really liked that question. He laughed and and he, he told me that he was. Um, the main reason he was able to get away with all this was that, first of all, fighters like cash. They they don't like checks. They don't trust checks. And um, if you if you give them some some cash, they're they're much more comfortable than if you give them a check, even if the cash isn't as much as the check would have been. And then he also said that he had the um, he had the backing of Elijah Muhammad, and that was kind of his his protection. Wow. So then, how long did that interview end up lasting? Was it quick, like he thought it, like, like he was saying it would be, or did it last longer than you expected? Um, no, it was pretty short, actually. It was maybe 20, 30 minutes, and uh, I was hoping for a lot more, um, but that was the best I could get. And But then I um, I followed up with him, and uh, and I got the impression he was really a social person, that he liked ha- hanging out. And I um, said, let's go to dinner. And he said, well, why don't you just come to my Christmas party next week? And um, I, I went to his Christmas party, and I brought my kids, in fact. My, my wow. Time, my girls were like... My, my girls were five and and uh, and twelve, and I brought them to Don King's Christmas party in Boca. Oh wow! Okay. That's just such a great story. That's absolutely. Yeah, by, was, by the way, Jonathan, our uh, our third co-host of this uh, amazing podcast, who we all tour together, is just joining us now. Uh, Mr. Steve Byrne is here. He was uh, hi. Uh, how are you? Thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast. I'm I'm the one with the actual television credits on. <laughs> So, <laughs> which I, I think Don King probably felt comfortable uh, talking to you because you have a very discerning person. Does 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 like because you seem like a really, you know, normal, midwestern guy. Yeah, midwestern yeah. kind of not a, not aggressive or anything. I, does does that obviously 
help in terms of interviewing people? I'm, I'm sure once you meet in person, it's it's a lot easier, correct? Yeah, I'm not a threatening kind of guy. And I also um, came into this with with really no you know horse in the race. I wasn't on anybody's side, and I think that helped a lot. You know, some people like Ali's uh, wife, Lonnie, his, you know, his, his, his fourth wife. Some people don't like her. Some people um, are, you know, have, have, have written about Ali before and there's, there's feelings about whether they like what they wrote or not. But, but I come out this thing, you know, as a, as a neutral party. And I think that people, once they saw that I was working hard on this book and that I was trying to include everybody and I was not taking any sides, I think that helps get people comfortable with me. And I, I assume uh, Farrakhan didn't have a Christmas party or just didn't invite you. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. If he did, he didn't invite me. But, but Farrakhan went out of his way. I'm Jewish, and I, I guess Farrakhan must have picked up on that somehow. Maybe from uh, maybe he Googled me or maybe he just looked at my face. Um, but but he, he went out of his way to say nice things about Jewish people. And, and he, was, he talked about how upset he was that everybody thought he was anti-Semitic. Well, I went to the Black Panther Cinco de Mayo party. They really, they really know how to put it together. <laughs> what about the Jesse Jackson meeting? How was that? Um, Jackson was 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 funny. Um, he he was very um, entertaining, and 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 he told me a funny story. He said that you know Ali came over to his mother's house once, and and Mrs. Jackson made um, made cracklin bread, which you know the main one of the main ingredients is, is pork, and. Uh, and Ali's not supposed to eat pork because he's a Muslim, but he ate like the whole plate, whole tray of, uh, of crackling bread. And then he said, "Mrs. Mrs. Jackson, what's in this bread? It's so good." And 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 Reverend Jesse was saying he knew exactly what was in that. He just wanted to eat the pork without <laughs> pretending oh, he didn't yeah, know what yeah. was in it. Yeah, that was funny. Um, That's right. Yeah. But uh, Jesse was was great. And w- w- before, before the interview was over, he 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 asked his secretary to bring a stack of um, glossy eight by ten photos that, that pictures of of Jesse and, and Muhammad Ali together, and then he, he sat there and, and autographed all of them, even though I, I hadn't asked for his autograph, but I, he, I just assumed that I would want it, I guess. Jonathan, it, it, it's I... got to make you feel better that, that uh, I mean, that uh, what's uh, who is it? Don King is on the Middle East situation. That's got, I mean, are you hopeful for the future of the Middle East because of that? Yeah, I think, I, you know, I think he's a lot better, has a lot better chance than Jared Kushner. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, I, I want to ask you, I, I when I was touring, I got to, I was working in Louisville and I went to the Ali Museum there. And the one thing I really got from the museum was that, that I think they really impressed upon you was his dedication to work ethic, um, the fact that he, you know, countless hours in the gym. And, uh, you know, again, it's like in the pantheon of great athletes, you hear about Kobe or Gretzky. These guys are the first to show up the last to leave the gym. That was much the case with Ali. It was definitely the case with young Ali. Um, in the 60s and early 70s, he was he was a, a, a gym rat and really was in better shape than most of his opponents and and. and that that changed a little bit though as he got richer and, and more famous and by the mid seventies also I think he was starting to show signs of brain damage and, and when one of the side effects of that is that you just don't have the same kind of um, determination the same uh, discipline the same ability to focus um, he was having difficulty sleeping and that may have been a, a sign of the diff- of the of the brain damage but by the by the mid seventies um, and certainly into the late seventies, he was he was not training much at all, and in fact, you know, really couldn't even run a mile or two before his last couple of fights. Oh, jeez, that's 
That's crazy. What what it, what's the one thing you'd want people to come away with, if anything, from reading Ali? I mean, is there any? Um, you know, I think that it's really important that we remember Ali as a warrior. You know, because he got sick and and we and our heart went out to him, and we we saw him light the Olympic torch in nineteen ninety six, and he, you know, he he could barely get the job done, and everybody just kind of. Um, felt bad for him that we turned him into this saint, you know, as if he were, you know, all knowing as if he were just this great humanitarian. And he, you know, he was a great hero, but I think that the, the big point I want to leave people with is that um, we should honor him for, for his courage in standing up to government for, for standing up for his religious beliefs. Um, not just for the fact that he was, um, you know, that he was soft and, and, um, and lovable and cuddly in the, in the late years of his life. By the way, just kind of a, an oddball, just simplistic question. Did you get a chance to meet him, talk to him ever? Yeah, I did, finally. You know, um, I spent years trying. I, I showed up at a bunch of public events where he was supposed to be, and, and and only about six months before he died, I finally got to meet him. And, you know, I shook his hand, and I told him I was writing this book, and I asked him if there's anything he wanted to say, and, and he, he didn't answer. You know, he couldn't really do interviews, and he, he didn't speak much at all at that point. Um, but I did at least get to look him in the eye and, wow. and, and shake his hand, and it was a powerful moment for me. Yeah, that has to be pretty amazing because obviously you're writing this book, and it, you know, th- there's so many books out there where they don't get a chance to meet the person that they're writing about. But you know, we had an author on um, Jason Zinneman who wrote a book about Letterman, and you know, it wasn't very clear if he had met Letterman until we had spoken with him. But the fact that you get to meet this guy who is such an icon had to be just an amazing experience and just really encapsulate the entire book process. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and you know, his wife invited me to come read him the book. Um, wow. And, and How said, many weeks did he you stay at his it. place? He, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, nerve-wracking. But he, 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 he didn't he live long enough for, for that to happen. You know, he passed away a few months after after that invitation was extended, so I didn't oh. get a chance to do it. Oh wow, that would have been just amazing to be able to do that. Was there was there yeah, um, I, I, feedback from family members per the book? Um, yeah, I've gotten some feedback. Some liked it, some didn't. Um, it's very hard when you're that close to the story to read it and 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 view it objectively. And I understand mm-hmm. that. So some people felt like you know I was I was too hard on him. Some people felt like I didn't tell their side of the story adequately. Um, but most of the feedback has been good. Most people, I think, feel like I, uh, you know, I, I talked to at least the ones who, who who called me anyway. There may be some angry people out there who haven't told me how they feel, but for the most part, um, I feel like the response has been great. Well, much like Gary talked a second ago about Zinneman, you know, obviously anybody who's going to invest time in writing these books, you're a fan. But as Jason described, you know, you, you come to learn that these individuals that we put on a pedestal are much more complicated. As you're writing the book, what was the glaring, shocking issue for you that maybe uh, maybe tarnished a, a, a bit of it for you? Well, I, I, I went in knowing that Ali was promiscuous, that he, you know, he, he had a lot of lovers, but I didn't know how bad it was going to be, and I didn't know that, that he hit his wives a couple of times. Um, I didn't know that there were questions of underage women, so that was really hard for me to take. Right. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I wrestled with is, you know, how do I feel about him at the end at the end of the book, um, knowing just how how badly he treated some of these women. And when you're getting the information, 
is it also difficult to to thread that needle in an objective way? I suppose. Yeah, you tr- you know you try to um, be honest, and, and I don't want to pull any punches. I don't want to you know um, hide this these these facts just because I want to sell more books. I, I need to be I need to be fair, and I need to tell the truth. Um, then the question is, you know, how much do you want to focus on it? Do you want this to be the the, the main thing that people take away? Do you want this to be the, the and I don't think that's fair either. You don't want to, to, to be salacious about it and to just try to um, drum up interest by being, by, by focusing on the tawdriest details. So, you know, I just tried to be back to put it in perspective and remind people, you know, of where he came from in life and uh, what times he was living in and, and what it's like to be a heavyweight champion and, and to be so beautiful and to have all these women uh, making themselves, um, available to you so you know i just tried to, to be as balanced as i could well we are uh three uh not so good looking stand-up comics so no <laughs> women are available to us two and a half <laughs> someday someday Some, someday soon um you know, so so it is it is crazy i mean you, you you've written these great books uh new york times top 10 best-selling author what's what's next i mean what do you where do you go from here well, my, my, my plan is to try to do another big biography um, and see if I can, you know, once once you do Ali, it's hard to go back and, and think about doing, um, you know, uh, Paul some Shore? small, small. <laughs> that, uh, that would be a pamphlet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a pop-up right. book. <laughs> we can get so you in touch with I have with a couple of a... ideas. I've got a couple of ideas, but I haven't settled on one yet, and I, I hope to uh, get started. Can you can you share possibly those ideas with us of who who you like who who you're looking at? Well, my 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 main target right now is to see if I can if I can do Martin Luther King. I think that uh, we need another biography of King, given the times we're living through right now, given yeah. what's happening in this world. I think his message, you know, if we if we forget that he's more than a federal holiday, we forget that he's a, a human being. Um, we're 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 losing sight of some some really important. Um, history and i'd like to try to tell that story if i can i gotta ask you jonathan as you're going down the rabbit hole with you know these you know uh, i i think especially with with king or you know with the research you've done with ali have there been moments where you're chasing a lead or going down an alley a little darker than most where you might get a little fearful in in terms of the things that that you're uncovering and people not wanting you to uncover certain facets of these people's lives um, yeah, occasionally I, um, I met with the guy who was the number two in the nation of Islam, um, under Elijah Muhammad. And a lot of people think he was an FBI informant. And a lot of people think that he may have been involved in giving the order to assassinate Malcolm X. And, uh, wow. that was a really uncomfortable interview. And when it was over, he was, um, he demanded money from me. And, um, then he began calling me every day asking for money and saying that, uh, he wasn't going to stop until I paid him. And, um, oh, that was, wow. that was tense. Yeah. Um, but those things are, are pretty rare. Most of the time, um, people are really nice and, um, and, uh, and, uh, I don't feel too worried about it. Yeah. Boy, sounds like, uh, demanding money sounds like a, a bad person. Sounds like you should get into comedy. Comedy, <laughs> comedy club owner. <laughs> you transition perfectly. Uh, <laughs> who would, uh, between Tyson and Ali at their peaks, Ooh. Do, you, do you have an opinion on that? 
Who would, who would wow. Um, it's always hard to compare fighters from different eras. Um, I'd, I'd put my money in Ali just because I think he was so quick, and, and that jab might have uh, been enough to keep Tyson from getting inside. Um, but then again, Joe Frazier got inside on Ali, and if Frazier could get inside, um, Tyson would, would, might get in there too, and he would do a lot of damage. Do you, do you think had Dancing with the Stars been around earlier, Ali <laughs> might have partaken for for the money? No, he was he was a terrible dancer. Oh, really? Right. Terrible, terrible dancer, and and he was a terrible athlete at almost any other sport. It's oh, wow! Bizarre. Wow, that's crazy. Because you think one of the greatest athletes. Of course, of the century. transition to anything, right? Uh, I, it, it's it's I I cannot figure that out how he could have, but he was terrible. I want to ask you, Jonathan. Um, and this speaks in general. I, I think we all kind of grew up. I think with boxing as such an immense sport, and boxing obviously has definitely lost its luster. I think the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, you could say UFC, you could say botched decisions by the judges. What, what is it? Why do you? Because I, I grew up loving boxing, and it's I couldn't tell you who the heavyweight champion is right now, but I could have told you when I was eight, probably twelve in my younger years. What has in general been to in your opinion the downfall of boxing and why it's lost its relevance i think it's a couple things one is that the sport as a business is just a mess you know mm-hmm. you've got all these different championships and and even if you're trying to fig- to follow it you can't tell because there's there's three different championships so who's the real champion it's just it, it's so poorly run um and and then also the fact that it's it's um it's just so brutal that you don't want to let your kid do it so the talent pool is drying up you can make so much more money only really the the only people who make money in boxing are the promoters and the one guy who makes it to the top the rest of the of the guys in boxing are are just scuffling for 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 terrible money and doing brain damage to themselves as a result so you know who's going to let their kids choose boxing when when other options are available you know it's just a it's a bad idea. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I, first of all, thank you so much for your patience over the course of the last couple of yeah. weeks, Jonathan. I know that we have been trying to schedule this, and I was joking before you got here, Steve, that Jonathan has canceled on us 19 times. <laughs> We've been trying to get him, and then last minute, he's always bailing on us. He's got other things to do. Uh, but honestly, Jonathan, we can't say thank you enough for doing this and just being so flexible and being such a great guest and you know we, we we've but done not only a, that but having a, an immense book that all of us all three of us were excited the minute this oh my gosh this this got well booked. by the way so thank you so much a, a looking for, looking through his stable of other books i mean we could talk to you jonathan i would we would love to have you back i mean to talk about all these other great books that you have out i mean there's so many of them and it, this we would love to have you back on if you would have the pleasure and the uh <laughs> if you would please come back and join us for another episode. We've done over a hundred, and uh, I got to tell you, this was one of my favorites. So yeah, we can't say oh, thank you enough, idea. Jonathan, for for doing this and being so flexible. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, guys. It was a fun conversation, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll sign up again anytime, and, and I'll cancel. You know, <laughs> and, and, and jo- we'll just it'll be our thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep going back and forth. And uh, Jonathan, just so you know, I know that you live uh, in Chicago. Uh, we plan on being there at some point early next spring. Yeah, we'll we, be out we, there. I just got Luminati sent to me. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, that's great. So that's be great. That tonight for dinner. But yeah. so, so we we will definitely be out there soon, and we would love to have you out there as our guest. So we'll keep in touch. That'd be wonderful. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jonathan Ike, uh, Ali a Life. What a great book and uh, just a great story. Thank you for your time, Jonathan. 
All right, thank you guys. I really had fun. Thanks. Take care, Jonathan. Okay, I gotta bye-bye. Tell you, what a story. Just yeah. great. I mean, just and again, you, you're right, Steve. It's like what what has gone wrong with boxing? It's just it's not as relevant as it was. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I I grew up scared to death of Tyson. Oh my god, yeah. Um, I was so happy when he lost to uh was it Holyfield with the ear just because I was relieved that he was he was vincible. Yeah, because yeah. Because yeah. for, uh, forever I'm like that's that guy scares me even though I never have to see him. Uh I was horrified. So, anyway. So great. Yes. Yeah, you want the cord? Yeah. There you go. Um well, by the way, so we uh just Sorry wrapped up for Irvine. coming in late. That's all right. We wrapped up Irvine. You were obviously waiting. You were in the car waiting for Illuminati to be delivered, so that's why <laughs> you were late. Uh, yeah. We just got done. We just talked about what a great time we had in Irvine. We are heading to Oxnard this weekend, Levity Live. Oxnard this weekend. Shows and Thursday Seattle, through Seattle, obviously. Yeah. We're all together. That'll Seattle, Parlor Live, yeah. ringing one in the, the New Year's. One of the best clubs in the country. Gentleman's Dojo. So that's yeah, there it is. Too. Yeah. By the way, have you seen? Take a look behind you. I brought little gifts in for everybody. Oh. There they are. Our the dojo Gentleman's dojo, dojo shirts. Nice. Just uh, twenty dollars each, and uh, that'll take care of them. Yeah, I paid but, for them. But actually, <laughs> oh, I thought they reimbursed. Uh, <laughs> oh, please. Uh, yeah, that'd who, be a first. Who paid for the tip on Friday night? Who Venmoed the waitress? Oh, Not Christ. you. Yeah, you forgot about that. Listen, <laughs> everybody, we are back. This feels like we've been gone for a little while. I'd like to thank Jonathan Eig all the way from Chicago. By the way, an incredible book. Amazing. Truly, I mean, it is in depth, but a great read. You will not be bored. Yeah, if you're looking for something for a little Christmas gift. But uh, we are back in full swing. Very excited to be back live, live to tape. Don't forget, check us out at Oxnard this weekend, Levity Live, New Year's Eve, Parlor Live in Bellevue. Come check out one of those shows, SteveBurnLive.com. Patrick. At Citizen King. At Cannon Comedy. Yeah. I'm in the I'm in the holiday spirit. Very excited. <laughs> Are you listening to Coast 103.5 for all of your holiday classics? Always Delilah. Love. Always. At Steve Byrne Live and keep in touch with us. Obviously, write, write us, review us, subscribe to us. Uh, we're on iTunes, obviously. If you re- give a review, write a review. If One you of those rate t-shirts. Us, and you get a Gentleman's look, Dojo t-shirt. Look up our guests. We, we have fantastic guests. I mean, nobody's doing it like we're... This is ju- just a come. little sampling of what's to come in 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what's coming up in 2018. It's weird hearing Gary take the lead on this. Right? Yeah. I, well, I'm in the captain's chair. I feel, You're in the captain's chair, yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm in charge. I'm, I'm driving where the car. Bones usually sits. You're where a horse sits. <laughs> and then uh, Captain Kirk there today. The Gentleman's Dojo. All things comedy. 